Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. There's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. That is here. There are a number of subjects that I want to address here on the podcast. The suspension and fine of Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver not being the least of them, but... Because of the fluidity of what can happen when it comes to odds being released and a foray that I want to take into the gambling space or at least providing betting information here on the podcast, I'm going to start with this. The odds makers released their win total lines for NBA teams about a month or so ago and with training camps soon to open I thought this would be a good time to point out some lines that are worth investing in for those of you so inclined. Over the course of the season, we'll keep track of how accurate my advice is and tally how many I got right at the end of the year. My advice to anyone wagering is to do so with your head, not your heart, unless you know that's what you're doing. I don't have any problem with anybody doing anything illogical when it comes to sports unless they're trying to convince me that it's logical. Don't do that. I'm not buying. But I'm also not going to condemn if you want to do something because that's what you want to do. Certainly spent enough years of my life doing the very same. If you're a Lakers or Knicks fan, for example, and want to place a bet that your team is going to win this year's championship, hey, it's your money. Just know it's a bad bet, no matter what kind of odds you're able to find. I don't see betting the under, by the way, for your team when it comes to win totals, and we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, Win totals for your team for the season, to bet the under as a sign of disloyalty, just so you know. It's actually kind of shrewd. If your team falls short of expectations, you win monetarily. And if they exceed expectations, well, you win as a fan. Besides, 
A team's regular season win total doesn't mean it can't still achieve its overall goal, which presumably is to win a title. For some, it might just be making the playoffs or winning a playoff round or reaching the conference finals. In any event, the record in and of itself isn't necessarily going to prevent them from doing any of those things. Now, when I started out in sports journalism, just for a little background here, it was considered bad form to bet in general, but especially on the sport that you covered. Not even bad form. Basically considered something you did not do. The belief was that your coverage and commentary could be influenced by your winning and losing. And I have no doubt there's credence to that, which is why for all of my experience, knowledge, and resources, I've never placed actual bets on NBA games, teams, or outcomes. I've always been happy to provide information to those who do, and as I see it, when I talk about what teams are going to do on TV or radio, I'm betting it's just not money. It's my reputation. It's my credibility. I suppose that's what I find funny about fans who want to rip into anyone in the media for getting a prognostication wrong. One, predicting outcomes is not why most of us got into the business. It was to inform and entertain. I'm less worried about my educated guests proving to be true than it being a reasonable, thought-provoking, educated guess. Two, no one is going to get them all right. While I've never kept track, the number of predictions I've made that are accurate far, far outweighs the ones that I've got wrong. And to be clear, when I write about what GMs and scouts are saying about, for example, the future of a particular player, like where Russ Westbrook might end up this season, I'm not predicting that. I'm sharing with you what people in the league believe is going to happen to Russ. I know most of you understand that, but for the few of you that might not, you can save the social media posts about, you said... No, I didn't. Unless I went on TV or radio and said, I expect that Russ will be playing for the Miami Heat sometime this season, then I did not say it. It's one of the many ways that sports coverage is different today. Once upon a time, columnists and radio hosts had opinions. Reporters and writers reported and shared observations. Now... Writers and reporters have radio shows or become radio and TV hosts without ever officially announcing that they're no longer journalists. And then there are the ex-players and coaches who are sharing inside information at times and straight-up opinions at others, many times protecting relationships that were built during their playing days. It is understandably really confusing for listeners, viewers, and readers. It requires listening closely and judiciously. Yes, it has put the onus on the audience more than ever to do their own vetting and fact-checking. There are also people in the media who now embrace gambling in a very out-front way. Nick Wright, one of my FS1 colleagues, would never have escaped local radio if the rules were as they were when I started. And that's not a knock on him. He is immensely smart, talented. I enjoy working with him. 
But his unbridled love for the Kansas City Chiefs, all things LeBron, and gambling would have disqualified him from having a national platform back in the day. Much like some of today's NBA players, they wouldn't have made the league the way the game was played and coached 15 years ago. But they are ideally suited to be successful in today's game. That's Nick. Old heads like me are like the centers and power forwards who have slimmed down and learned to shoot threes. If you want to stay in the game, you will learn to adapt your skills to how the game is being played now, rather than grumbling about it's not played the way it once was. I suppose I do a little bit of grumbling of that, but I've adapted. Since my TV role has expanded to the NFL and recognizing that the rules of the game have changed, I have not only allowed myself to be more of a Bengals fan, the team I grew up with, I have shared that fandom on TV. However, that isn't going to preclude me from being critical of the Bengals or taking a ride-or-die approach to their chances. If I don't have high expectations for them, I'm going to say so. If I think the high expectations are faulty, I'm going to say so. Whatever my expectations, the soundness of my reasoning or logic is what matters most, at least to me. I believe that's the smartest way to approach the business today, even though it's changed, or the business I find myself in. If you listen closely to the national talk show hosts whose popularity has endured, Colin Cowherd, I consider one, they acknowledge having favorites. They're just not constant. They flash their fan card, but they trade them out routinely. They will give you a case-by-case basis as to why they are a fan at that particular time of that particular team. Colin is currently in love with Lincoln Riley and USC football. Now, Colin is from Washington, not from L.A. Considering kind of the PAC, now PAC-12 association, you would expect him to be somewhat anti-USC-UCLA. I suspect he spent some time with Lincoln and likes him. He wasn't always a USC fan, and if they don't do well, I'm pretty sure that Colin will abandon them. And he might not crush Riley, but he won't be above saying where he thinks he went wrong. That's not being unfaithful or flip-flopping. It's course correction. It's being honest. It's acknowledging that while all of us have a certain fan in them, that that can't supersede what Colin or I do as our jobs, which is to give unvarnished perspective. Being an out-and-out fan of a player or team, even if it's acknowledged that the attachment is emotional and even illogical, well, it may connect with an audience, but I think it skews the balance of what we're paid to do. It isn't just to entertain, and it isn't just to inform. It's to do both. And being an unrepentant fan might be entertaining, but I don't see it as being informative in any meaningful way. What we love about sports is that they are unpredictable, and yet social media and message boards are full of back-and-forth screaming matches about predictions, past or future being wrong. Sports are real, live, human drama, 
And every event can have a long-lasting effect, especially in football. That includes unanticipated events, which is why ripping someone from making a prediction and then having something extraordinary or unpredictable change the course of events is either being silly or just mean. The Bengals' first week loss to the Steelers has the potential to have all sorts of consequences beyond the standings. Evan McPherson is a young place kicker who has been automatic and his confidence has been through the roof. You can't tell me that that hasn't been part of his success. Is his just unwavering confidence built upon success after success. You can feel it radiate off him anytime he jogs onto the field. But after having an extra point blocked and shanking a badly snapped field goal try, both with game-winning potential, that mental toughness and confidence will be tested. It doesn't matter that the reasons for the misses weren't necessarily on him. They're still misses. Suddenly, he's not impregnable. How that's going to impact him going forward, I don't know. I just know it could. And I'm fascinated, and again, this is one of the things I love about sports, is finding out if it impacts him, how it impacts him, and how he's going to deal with it. There have been athletes who have experienced such disastrous events. Nick Anderson of the Orlando Magic comes immediately to mind with his missed free throws in game one of the finals against the Rockets that have never been the same. Head coach Zach Taylor made two critical mistakes in the Steelers game. Not challenging a ruling on what was a Bengals touchdown, but instead was ruled out on the one and not burning more time off the clock before having his punter kick the ball, leaving the Steelers enough time to drive for the game-winning field goal in overtime. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Those kinds of mistakes erode the confidence in a coach, which in turn erodes a team's willingness to follow his decisions and game plan with the same unreserved commitment and effort. You don't think that as a result of everything that's happened in New England the last couple of years, that there is a loss of confidence and resolute belief in Bill Belichick? Sure there is. It happens. And even a half percent of doubt can be the difference between a game plan or play working or not. That's one of the topics of revisionist history that I want to get to, but we'll get there, just not in this episode. As for gambling, I don't personally have anything against gambling. I actually, I love to play blackjack when I'm in Las Vegas and poker with my friends, and I post betting squares and prop bet sheets at my annual Super Bowl party. Everybody loves them. I love them. I've just never wagered on teams or games particularly in the NBA. 
But because betting on sports has not only become accepted but popular, I've been studying the methodology for the last few years in a way that I had not previously and might never have. I studied blackjack, uh, read books on blackjack. Um, And I know that with sports or cards or gambling, there is a very clinical or analytical way to approach betting and a more by feel or hunch way to find smart bets. Now, I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but the clinical approach has two sides to it, weighing the statistical evidence to predict what is going to happen and studying the actual line set. I'm going to give you a bit of both here, but hunting for the best point spread, that's not my aim or interest. The betting advice I'm going to offer will be based more more on what I know from 30 years of covering the league and talking to people inside the league on a regular basis about what is going on with particular teams and players right now. So let's start with a general observation. Based on my conversations with GMs and scouts around the league going into this season, this looks to be one of the deepest most competitively balanced seasons in years. There are as many as 10 teams that look capable of making it to the finals. And what does this mean for win totals? It means that winning 50 plus games is going to be a challenge. Which brings us to the first team I want to discuss, the Brooklyn Nets. At one point in early August, their win total was set at 45 and a half for those odds makers who were willing to set one without knowing if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were going to be on the team. There's plenty of books that simply refuse to, to list one. Since the team's announcement that KD and Kyrie are staying, I've seen lines set as high as 51 and a half wins by BetMGM for minus 145 for the under plus 115 for the over. DraftKings has their line at 50 and a half wins for plus 100 if you take the under, so basically even, minus 120 for the over. MGM, as I see it, knows the 52 wins is a reach and is trying to draw in unrealistic Nets fans while trying to discourage the realists who see 52 as the reach that it is and would pound the under if the numbers were a little bit better. Hence the minus 145. I still think that's not too scary. Now, I'm inclined to take the DraftKings bet because it's even money, and I don't see the Nets getting to 50, much less 51. Over the course of the last five years, this is why. No more than four teams in the Eastern Conference have won 50-plus games. Four did it last year. Miami, Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia. And that was considered, again, the parity, particularly in the East, seemed to be pretty good. East was deeper than it's been in some time. It's supposed to be even deeper this year. And as of right now, Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia look like locks to win 50 games. Uh, the odd ma- odds makers have their lines all set at 49 and a half or better. So that leaves 
one spot, if we're looking at the historical comparison, that leaves one spot to be fought over by the Heat, Nets, Cavs, Bulls, and Raptors. And there's a better case to be made for at least three of those teams to win 50 games. A case better than the one that can be made for the Nets. The Heat have to be the favorites, having led the East last year with 53 wins, although I wouldn't be surprised if they fell off a few games. Grinding the way they do can only be done with the same horses so many seasons in a row before it takes its toll. And obviously the Kyle Lowry addition has not worked out, and at his age and his conditioning, I don't expect that to turn around. There is no team... Uh, like the Miami Heat, that plays as if every regular season game is a must-win. It's baked into their DNA. That's one reason why to believe they could still scratch out 50 wins. It's also one reason to believe that the cumulative effect on them can be real. The Raptors only missed the 50-win mark by two games last year, and their entire roster, along with a support staff of at least a half-dozen personnel, were present at the summer runs at UCLA, I'm told, on a daily basis. I walked into the gym one day and saw Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, and Chris Boucher on the floor together. The oddsmakers either aren't aware of that or don't expect it to make a difference because they have their win total set at 45 and a half, that's DraftKings, with the over at minus 130, and BetMGM has the line at 46 and a half, with both the over and under at minus 110. Now keep in mind, teams generally don't treat the UCLA run as a mini camp or summer league, and that's what the Raptors were doing. You never see that many guys on one team playing together like that during the summer. Also keep in mind, the last few seasons for the Raptors have been marred by Canadian COVID restrictions. They're clearly on a mission to make up for lost opportunity. They are a young team, and while that can come back and bite a team in the playoffs, as it did last year against the 76ers, it's less of a factor during the regular season. When younger legs and deeper, more flexible rosters are more advantageous than experience. And I can't help but feel as if some of the overlooking the Raptors is because they don't have that big name, that big star, and they're in Toronto. Barnes, though, the rookie of the year, is only going to be better. As much as the Cavs might have improved on paper by adding Donovan Mitchell, and he is a talent upgrade, but there's still a question of how well he'll fit. And is the name bigger than the impact? I like teams that already have displayed good chemistry and have continuity over teams that are adding a piece, particularly one in the case of Donovan that soured on his previous situation. I'm not forecasting doom for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm just wondering how much of an impact Donovan is actually going to make. Now, I don't know if the Raptors have enough talent to go deep into the playoffs, but I do know they have the talent, coaching, and mindset to be a nightly pain in the ass to play during the regular season. And they are controversy and distraction-free. Everything points to the Raptors being a solid sleeper pick this season to 
at least match last year's win total, if not add a few. I don't see how the Nets, on the other hand, are going to improve on last year's 44 win total by seven games. Ben Simmons has not played for an entire season. And if KD and Kyrie were enthralled with the prospect of playing with him and what they could accomplish, they never would have been interested in going elsewhere as they were this summer. And then there's the whole disenchantment with head coach Steve Nash. Under the circumstances, I don't know of anyone who could have navigated all the turmoil, injuries, and distractions the Nets went through last season. But just as I noted about the Bengals, it really doesn't matter. There are consequences for events, no matter what caused them. For McPherson, it was the Bengals' regular long snapper getting injured, forcing them to use his backup, a tight end pressed into service. For Nash, it was needing a 12-6 stretch run, along with the Cavs suffering a rash of injuries just to get into the play-in game and then the playoffs and then getting promptly swept out by the Celtics and their first-year head coach, Ime Odoka, that has surely eroded the confidence in Nash. It's all going to be how they start the season. And their first month is brutal. Their first five opponents are the Pelicans, Raptors, Grizzlies, Bucks, and Mavericks. 12 of their first 20 games are on the road. Of those 20 games, half are part of back-to-backs. I just don't see how they get out of the gate on the kind of role that galvanizes them. And just imagine, they lose the first five games. They go 0-5. You think KD and Kyrie are going to be rallying the troops? Are they going to be saying, see, this is why I wanted out. I just don't see how they get out of the gate in a way that is going to alleviate all the issues that are just waiting there to bubble up. It's far more likely that the Nets are going to struggle. KD is going to reiterate his trade demand at some point, And Kyrie Irving is going to follow suit. And this team is going to erode the same way it did last year. So, when it comes to the Nets, go with the under. When it goes with the Raptors, take the over. And I will have additional uh, information on some additional over-under bets in a piece that I'm going to write over the weekend for foxsports.com. But that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And as I said, in the next episode, podcast episode, I will be addressing the what's going on with Robert Sarver and the Phoenix Suns, how it impacts them, and why we got a one-year suspension and $10 million fine instead of being run out of the league the way former Clippers owner Donald Sterling was. We'll get into all that. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.